this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. Listening to the official podcast of the playlist on IndieWire. I'm your host, Eric McClanahan, and joining me today to discuss Chappie is Joe Van Oppen, my co host on another film podcast called Adjust Your Tracking. Chappie may have been the number one movie this weekend at the box office, but it quickly became a punching bag for critics when it started screening before its March 6 release. This third film from director Neil Blumkamp was positively reviewed here at the playlist, though with our own Drew Taylor grading it a B and finding plenty to recommend, despite its flaws. So Joe and I are here to add to Drew's even-handed, balanced review, and also try to counter all that negativity that's out there regarding Chappie, and also Blomkamp's work so far, and what he has ahead of him. So let's drop you into our chat as Joe starts us off by discussing his thoughts on Chappie. For one, it... It's a movie that, like, if if it functions on a fundamental level of just being entertaining, I think the movie is successful. I think all of its problems after that, you know, can start to weigh another film down. Like, if a movie may, remains entertaining and is, like, problematic, you may, like, after you leave the theater, it may start to just, like, fall apart in retrospect because you're no longer under the spell of its entertainment. Mm-hmm. But I think it's still, to a certain extent, the fact that it was engaging start to finish for its two-hour running time is like is is successful to a certain extent. You know what I mean? And I, mm-hmm. I think it clipped along decently and was like engaging and everything else that you can kind of like nitpick and have a problem with. Like you still can't denounce the fact that it was a functioning film. And so like all of the all the ire being thrown at the movie is just like, well, it still is, you know, a, a decently paced, engaging, un- involving film for the most part. I felt like it was his most fun film, like, or, or his attempt to be his most fun film. And so, like, <laughs> I don't know. How do you feel about it? So I, I think that this is his attempt to make, like, a, as close to a straight up comedy um, in his very typical science fiction uh, worlds that that he's mm-hmm. been doing, I think I, I'm with you too. The the movie is completely like the movie for me is totally interesting yet like so flawed. 
And right. the things that make it interesting and stand out from the pack are also sort of its problem is like at the heart of the problems. Like uh, we can get into later, like Diane Tward's involvement in this film, which uh, <laughs> is both sort of a blessing and a curse. And yeah. the the sort of vitriol that you're that we're seeing from a lot of critics, uh, I was looking. It's thirty percent on Rotten Tomatoes. There's some really like really like what's a comparable thirty percent movie. God, There's yeah. like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles at a thirty percent. Yeah, may, maybe even lower for that one. I, I haven't looked it up, but yeah, that's probably like a good bet. And so let's just use that as our gauge, right? Okay. Like, I mean, you saw the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie. I did not. <laughs> uh, I, how would you compare that to something like Chappie? I mean, I, I can only imagine that Chappie has so much more going on and more value to it. Well, that's the thing is that, like, Neil Blomkamp is very, you know, he's clearly interested in in social themes and dystopian themes and, like, current relevant subject matter. And I've seen him in interviews say that that's, like, the engine for his movies, but it's not, like, the end-all, be-all. What he wants to make are just straight up entertaining movies mm-hmm. and he's he's the one operating on like at the moment on a canvas this size where he's like he's he's making these big budget spectacles whose budget may be you know getting smaller and smaller with d- <laughs> the diminishing returns at the box office and the critical response but like he's he's somebody who at least like is throwing ideas on the screen and it, and it doesn't forsake the entertainment value and even when a movie doesn't like kind of synergize, you know, perfectly the way you would hope it would, it still is a mess that I would much rather sit in than like the mess of like a an over marketed kind of a focus grouped into existence type movie like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which just has no no real purpose other than you know just the the cachet of it being nostalgic, and so there's you you feel like it's it's deadness on the screen, you know? Yeah, yeah. And so so it being sort of like percentage-wise clumped in with movies like that, which we don't know. It could be lower in the Rotten Tomatoes aggregate score. But like it's it feels like it's like that level of comparison where it's like, it sucks. It sucks like this movie. And you're like, no, no there's nowhere near. Like there's an intelligence to Chappie and like just an overall – dramatic involvement that elevates it above you know like films that are getting similar scores yeah and i mean whether or not other people think chappie's an intelligent film or neil blomkamp is making intelligent films in this sort of blockbuster mold ultimately i i think what i appreciate most is the the messiness we get with something like chappie i think Mm -hmm. you and i talk about this on our podcast a lot like i will take the uh, uh, I will take ten chappies over ten Marvel movies that are all very like well done. Right. There's, they the, the the Marvel machine sort of like you know there's this consistency of like I guess a certain level of quality you're gonna get. Yeah. But I I personally find it much more interesting to go to the movies and see something that doesn't totally work like Chappie, but it also isn't like a total train wreck. It's just it's like its messiness is what gives it is what gives it something worth watching. I think. So so the vitriol is just it's out of proportion with I think a realistic standard and we have to sort of like pick apart why that is you know and so it's interesting thinking about filmmakers and how they establish what I think is like called permission you know mm-hmm. so like you if with a certain amount of work and a certain amount of just like quality of output like a 
a director will have a certain permission from its audience. So like they'll give it the benefit of the doubt that like say, and I do this as a contrarian a lot, you know, where I'll, I'll see a movie and be like, well, if anybody else made this, would you have the same reaction? Mm-hmm. And I know that we've discussed how like, well, nobody else would make this because it's the mark of a very signature filmmaker. If anybody else made this, would you care or would you be rolling your eyes at it? And I feel like the opposite of that permission is this is what Neil Blomkamp is is experiencing mm. is like this expectation that was formed almost prematurely yeah. about what he was to bring to the table. Like it was it was sort of blueprinted like this is what you do. And if you don't deliver on this by the time Elysium came out, it was just like th- then then we're going to start to rip you apart. And it's just like it's the opposite side of the permission coin. Yeah. Whereas like, you know, he's he's sort of pigeonholed and the benefit of the doubt isn't given to him because he's given a limited range of what he can do. You know what I mean? In terms of audience expectations in sort of film nerd circles. Yeah. And I think you you just hit the the nail on the head there. Like it's uh, I wonder if the vitriol we're seeing with Chappie and that we did with Elysium as well is maybe a little bit out of whack because we're we're talking specifically like Rotten Tomato scores, like critics reviews, like most critics are kind of down on this film. And a lot of them were down on Elysium as well, which was a movie you and I like kind of valiantly defended when it came yeah, out, it, you know? It's it's one that because of the kind of like outpouring of negative reviews, I was like, wait, am how off am I? Like I remember a friend of <laughs> yes. mine who who was managing a theater at the time Fight Club came out. Like we loved Fight Club, but we almost loved it in advance. Mm-hmm. You know, like we just we were we were so just invested in wanting to love it that when we saw it, we were like, it was as good as we thought. And then <laughs> Entertainment Weekly gave it an F, which <laughs> F is just like that's such an unmistakable like denouncement of something. Like exactly. this, this this is a failure. That's what F stands for. So <laughs> he had he had like the the kind of rippling reality where he was like oh, wait a minute, am I super delusional about this? And that's kind of what Elysium was like, where I was like, yeah. I think, you know, there were kind of broken parts of it. There were just things that, like, unfortunately couldn't be ironed out in post, you know, or at least, the, you know, the the unfortunate Jodie Foster overdubbing. And you're like, what went wrong with that? Like, what's happening with this story? But it just it just didn't bog down what I thought was a completely entertaining spectacle and something that operated on an allegorical level that was interesting and in a way that isn't done a lot with the kind of um, assembly line spectacle movies that are coming out with, you know, the Marvel domination of everything ever now. Exactly. And, and Elysium in, in hindsight for me, especially when I saw it a second time, I still liked it. But mm-hmm. I did realize how messy that movie's conclusion is and how kind of tonally confused it is. Maybe not so much tonally confused, but thematically confused. Right. Uh, I think kind of after the fact, you and I had talked about how that ending is kind of a nightmare for Elysium. And it's painted as though it's like the heroic, perfect sort of climax. But like when you think about it, it's like that would be a nightmare to deal with, you know? Yeah. And. Um, so maybe that doesn't totally work in terms of making a complete, wholly successful movie, but Elysium is so much more interesting in comparison. And I think 
ultimately you had to look at that movie compared to the other things that were coming out that summer. And that's why you and I were more positive on Elysium that time or because it's just, and, and it's the same thing I would say about Chappie. Like I will just, I will take this over most of even like a a movie that I would admit is better made or more um, successful in completing its vision. Cause I I think Chappie is, is pretty like messy and, and is like, has a really bad ending. Well, it's, it also feels rushed to a certain mm-hmm. extent. Like, you know, there was a four year gap between district nine and Elysium. And this was like a year and a half gap between Elysium and this, and this was a movie he was planning to make, you know, before Elysium came out, but there's something that feels hurried. And if yeah. it has a disconnection with like the audience, that might be why, like there was just kind of like a, if, if something just isn't clicking, it just feels like it was rushed through to where like characters aren't entirely fleshed out what their motivations are and you know stuff like there's no clear like there's a couple villains but none of them really kind of command the screen but it's like we've seen those movies where like you have the overlord you know villain that's almost boring in its intentions to like I want to conquer this part of the universe and like who gives a shit like okay <laughs> like is there anything beyond that in your robe you're wearing Whereas like, I'm feeling some Man of St- Steel, maybe some hints of Man of Steel in your. In I was your... actually thinking of Guardians of the Galaxy, but oh, okay. okay, yeah, yeah. You know who whoever was playing that part, Marilyn Manson. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, with this, it was just like you get a couple kind of like there was one over the top villain, and then there's Hugh Jackman's character, who's kind of the the human flawed, almost you know, he's the. He he's comic, so in this in a you know just with his shorts and his haircut, like you're you're meant to sort of laugh at him, but you don't have the kind of gallery of villains you would in RoboCop, say, which I think Paul Verhoeven is often you know cited as an influence on Neil Blomkamp. So oh yeah, I mean, gosh, as soon as Chappie started and you get the introduction to Hugh Jackman's character, like okay, so Ed two oh nine. Ooh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, now you see this. This is a problem. This is a gang sign. You see this? Ah, uh, you hear that? Yeah, it's all over there. See, look at that. <laughs> look at that. I haven't seen this type of setup. It's almost like a chemistry type of a set. There's gonna be some. Yeah, I don't know. This has got the markings there of, of uh, so it, it's definitely alien, but it's uh, not a weapon. But I don't trust it, you know, I don't trust anything that. Oh, you're right, bro. Because you're right. Eh? I still think District 9 is like by, by far his best film. Yeah. And still really holds up as, I think, a really great movie. And yet, was it completely unfair, the expectations that, that come following something like District 9? A movie that did well financially mm-hmm. and audiences That's liked it, but Oscar also... Oscar nomination. Yeah, it was up for Oscar. It was Best Picture, Best Screenplay, yeah. and uh, a few others, like Best Editing. And that that always is going to create these unfair expectations that then will uh, seem... Are, are, we're seeing with Blumkamp are sort of following him, mm-hmm. and then but then there's that other side of the coin where Blumkamp does also seem to be repeating himself. Chappie 
feels almost like a desperate attempt to go back to what worked with District 9. Yeah. And that stuff feels rushed as well, the sort of quasi-documentary, fake documentary stuff in the beginning. Totally. And really, the, yeah, the, the transfer... Never, it never wraps around. Like, I thought exactly. about that as the movie was over. It was like, it was introduced. Like, there's just, like, one interview where it's like, I see how Chappie happened, you know? And you're like, oh, this is another faux documentary kind of device. And then it vanishes it just, immediately. You're like, yeah. why did they even have that at the beginning? <laughs> exactly. It's, it's, it's confusing. And I, um, that seems as if, like, maybe that was a move of Blumpamp to just try to remind people of what they liked about District 9. Mm-hmm. But it, where's that coming from is because um, something I wanted to bring up is, and who knows how much we can really rely on this as an accurate gauge, but the cinema score for all three of his films, which is, you know, they, they sort of pull people coming out of theaters to ask them mm-hmm. what they think. Mm-hmm. The cinema score has been a B for all three movies. So if we go by that, mostly unreliable, you know, like rating. It's like mostly the audiences seem to be kind of on board still with what he's doing, even though the movies are making less money. Yeah. Um, but the critics are really have just like completely piled on with each film, uh, negative, mostly negative reviews for him. And, um, I think it's those expectations from that first movie out of the gate that really wowed a lot of people, but also, um, I don't know what, like, uh, there's that article, uh, an article in Critic Wire that I shared with you, uh, yeah. talking about how uh, the 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 uh, it's a March 5th piece. So this comes out the day before Chappie is even released, and it says why we're too quick to write off new directors. And it's a lot of it is about looking at how people are already doing that with Blumkamp, and you can't. It's not really fair to do that after a yeah. couple of movies. Well, I think that because because of the internet, the speed at which we consume things and rip, you know, examine things. I'll say examine before I say rip things apart, but also rip things apart. Um, you know, is so much faster. It's like dog ears in comparison to how you know things used to move. Mm-hmm. And so, this the space between uh, District Nine and Elysium, four years. That's like a huge amount of time of which people were kind of over considering over pondering everything and so they just they built up something to 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 mean something entirely different than it is possibly and so there there's just like a set of expectations that's a hindrance on somebody developing their voice like this was his first movie district nine yeah you know with the exception of the short he made and the you know kind of the project halo that fell apart that he was he was on board to do and so neil blomkamp is a director who he turned down a Star Wars, you know, movie. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he's not interested in doing that, and like, but still, somebody who has an idiosyncratic vision like him, and a you know a, a vision that's unique, he still isn't impervious to you know answering the critics, and so like, if he starts to kind of get in this pleasing mode where he's like trying to he's like I'm trying to make up for Elysium because I really dropped the ball with that one which I saw him quoted as saying that he's like I really blew that opportunity and it's like yeah no like if he's just starting to like if doubt is clouding his his, the clarity of his vision then it's just like then then you're watching the adverse effects of the a sort of critical outpouring and how fast we things have to mean something yeah. And because like it's not going to get any traction if you say like Chappie's flawed but it ultimately is a relatively entertaining 
movie, like that's not an interesting headline. It either has to be the bold new coming of dot, 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 or Mm -hmm. this person was highly overrated and he's clearly fallen off. Like those are the headlines that like are going to catch people's attention. It's like, I knew he was a fraud or he's the best. So like it's one or the other, I think in the, in the realm of the internet and the, the gray area in between where kind of is, that's where Chappie lives. Yep. Is like it's flawed, but it's ultimately, you know, it's a fun, well-intentioned, sweet, interesting movie, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's the thing that's so interesting, right? Like, because if we're if our hunch is right and this was sort of a safer move for Blomkamp in terms of trying to remind people of that prior success, you know, mm-hmm. making the film appear like a District 9 in, in a lot of ways and sort of follow a similar arc, isn't it also kind of crazy that he thought that this – this very bizarre movie starring two South African rappers who are like sort of a niche internet phenomenon, you know, relatively and having them essentially be the star of the movie. And they, again, like they're, they're, they're a part of what's wrong with this movie in a lot of ways, their performance from, from both of them, Yolandi and and Ninja are like rough at best. I would say we're playing themselves. And so if you have these people who are sort of established, phenoms in the you know in the internet world you know for the last six years because they've been around internet wise since 2009 um and they their set of associations is so specific so it's like you see them and you're like all right so they're playing themselves so are they like rappers i don't i'm confused and it you know they they'll pull up to a scene in their car and the the stereo will be booming one of their songs that everybody's familiar with. Mm-hmm. And you're like, well, what the fuck? Like, what? The, imagine it as anybody else. Like, imagine it as LMFAO and they pull up playing party rockers at every scene. You, you would think that was really deliberately ridiculous. Yeah. And so it's just like, so what? what is ultimately being communicated? It was just like, is this a vehicle for them? You know? Yeah. That's the confusing part. I think it kind of is in a lot of ways, like almost a commercial for Diane Tward. I mean, they're wearing Diane Tward t-shirts throughout the movie as well, you know? Yeah. And so uh, I mean, is that interesting in itself? No. Like I don't think a (laughs) commercial for them is very, I think the internet partly is the reason they exist. And so them, making the leap onto the big screen isn't really necessary, you know? Um, I think, I think Yolandi is like a far more, gives a far more interesting performance. It's, mm-hmm. it's, you know, kind of shallow. Like she, she hits all the requisite notes of being like the sweet maternal character to, um, Chappie's Johnny five. She's Ali Sheedy <laughs> to, you know, Chappie's Johnny five. <laughs> right. And, um, there's no pervy bathtub scene, unfortunately. That is but, um, unfortunate. It really could have used that. It could have used an El DeBarge song, too, but that's okay. I'll take all the Diane Word songs. <laughs> but, yeah, I think, ultimately, the 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 burden of the performances is carried by the other leads. Um, Sigourney Weaver is kind of shelved for most of the movie. Yeah, I wondered why she even bothered doing this movie. Because <laughs> her conclusion was just sort of like she runs off screen and she's like, oh, that's it for her. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Not to mention Hugh Jackman's sort of strange exit in the film, which feels like there's more after that to come. And it it's like, oh, okay, that that's well, it. Well, yeah, and, and to that, that might lead to more of like what he's trying to appease the fan servicing because it's like leaving it open ended, even though he doesn't seem to be someone, even though he'll he'll return like the 
the worlds overlap definitely in his films, but he's not interested in making, I think, a franchise, you know? And so, like, Elysium's police robots look a lot like Chappie does yeah. in, in Chappie. And so his worlds definitely bleed together, but, like, setting Hugh Jackman up, you know, albeit very battered and beat down as like could like could he come back in a sequel that there's clearly not going to be <laughs> you know what i mean yeah it, it's kind of weird that the like the the un the like you're just sort of unsure of what the the goal was with some of these these aspects of the movie or what, what and, the idea was behind it yeah and that's that's what feels kind of hurried about the movie and sort yeah. of rushed is that it wasn't completely thought out but again yeah. i just i don't i feel like He's an interesting enough director that like his messes are still more rewarding than like a lot of the just like stock films you're gonna get, you know, that just to fill the theaters. Yeah, like, no as routine. Yeah, exactly, right? And that's why I, I still wanna see what he's gonna do. And even though, you know, we've been talking about how he he's and definitely around Elysium time when he was doing press, he was very kind of specifically devoted to saying I'm only making my original films. Like I don't yeah. have any interest in franchises, something that has completely changed now because before Chappie came out, it was based, he, he had released this um, alien concept art that he had made just sort of for fun. And then we find out, you know, a mere few weeks before Chappie's released that that is going to be his next film is an alien film, which as of yet still has no release date. And we're not even exactly sure how it's going to fit into the timeline of the alien well, franchise. Isn't it kind of like hinging on the fact on Chappie's performance? That that's the thing it makes you wonder if we're going to get more answers this, this week, this coming week now uh, with Chappie making Chappie was number one. It's uh, made a little bit more than 13 million at the box office this weekend, which is actually less than Jupiter ascending made in its opening Yikes. weekend. But yeah. here's the thing you got to look at is Jupiter ascending cost almost 200 million to make. And Chappie mm. only had about $50 million budget. So, okay. Once Chappie opens uh, in like you know other countries, it might actually do okay and turn a little profit. It could be okay because um, something I think worth complimenting Blomkamp on is his budget so far. Even though Elysium was the highest one, uh, was over a hundred million. They've still been relatively low compared to other movies that he's competing with. You know, and he does get a lot of that money on screen, and that's something to applaud him as a filmmaker. And I, I, you know, that's a lot of what people talked about with District 9. Like, it was so impressive what he did with that budget. Mm -hmm. And um, I think it's very clear why District 9 made a lot of us think that he could be a great director, that he is going to do some amazing stuff. Um, and it set up these unrealistic expectations. But I guess now that we have had a couple more films, how about we discuss, like, the idea of, like, him being discussed as an original filmmaker and his films being original, like how how do we break that down exactly? Like he sort of adds a fresh coat of paint to familiar things. Right. I'm starting to sense that he might be more of like a Tarantino like filmmaker where he's taking yeah. that yeah, he kinda takes all the stuff he loves about movies from his past that he grew up loving and sort of tries to pick and choose all the best parts. I just I think He's not as skilled of an adapter of those those uh, that nostalgia that Tarantino is. It actually kind of mm -hmm. makes you appreciate how good Tarantino is at reappropriating the stuff he loves. Yeah, he's he's able to make a 
a successful pastiche, he may be a more capable writer than Neil Blomkamp. Ah, uh, yes, that's for sure. Yeah. But what he benefits from is sort of developing his his voice in a pre-internet era, you know, which a lot of filmmakers that we we think of as auteurs, you know, they they were able to kind of like stagger around, find their voice, make a few, you know, make an occasional flop, which wasn't the make or break movie. It was just sort of like, it didn't do well. And it, I certainly colored their reputation, but they were able to continue working. You know what I mean? And, Mm -hmm. and so with this and and learn and get better, right? Yeah, absolutely. And there's, there's just so much at stake now with like movies having to, to just like break new records and like build to a next bigger opportunity. Mm-hmm. Like I would love for him to continue with the same set of resources. Cause if it's scaled back, you know, to where it's just like the ideas are there, but you don't have the, the resources to make the, the vision that you would hope to see, you know, there's always those scrappy sci-fi movies usually where you're, you're like, Oh, this has such good core ideas, but they just couldn't pull it off mm-hmm. technically because they didn't have the resources. Right. You know, and like I it just seems like <laughs> there's like a, a punishment mode set again where he's like, Hey, look, <laughs> this isn't what we signed up for, Neil. This isn't like it's the Barton Fink scene where he's like, You think you're the only person that could give us that Barton Fink feeling? It's like <laughs> you think you're the only one that could do Neil Blomkamp? <laughs> exactly. Ten other Neil Blomkamps, and so it's just like what people expect from him is it seems like there there's like a weird backlash that's going to start limiting his resources, which I think is unfortunate because what he does with big spectacles, again, is just still more interesting to me than like all of the other things that are just requisitely filling theaters. Yeah, yeah. It's like the movie sort of does follow a, a template and all three of his movies have the big finale, the big action finish. Mm-hmm. And he's very bodies just exploding everywhere, <laughs> liquefying. Absolutely, man. Yeah. He loves the the ultra violence, um, which I actually kind of wish there was a bit more of that in Chappie. There's like only a few moments that are like really shocking, actually. Yeah, and I guess it's effective in that way. But um, uh, yeah, yeah, uh, that was sort of a weird thing in Chappie, I thought. But just the the idea that like it's just I, I guess like everybody gets set that. They want him to be a certain way, and then he's actually kind of repeating himself in some ways with these other movies. Yet that's yes. what everybody's complaining about. It's it's, so a, it's like it's kind of like everybody loses. Yeah, in a sense yeah. Because if he was just a kind of you know like maverick, like I don't give a shit, which he you know to a certain extent on paper he has you know he's turned down the Star Wars movie. Mm-hmm. He wants to make his original content, but he still is obviously affected by an outpouring of negative reviews. Yeah. He answers by saying, like, I really blew it with this movie, which I just feel like, I don't know. Like, it yeah. doesn't have to be a card game where you have to bluff. But, like, I don't think it was the failure that everybody makes it out to be. And I think, like, you yeah. should just move on and prove, like, and, and just improve as opposed to apologizing for the work. Yeah, move on I mean. and also let time do its job. Because I think, in hindsight, Elysium will look better than most of the other movies that it came out around. Yeah, there's just, like, certain... There's scenes in it that, like, just work, like, as standalone moments. You oh, know, yeah. that whole kind of dystopian section. The whole movie's a dystopian <laughs> section. But that whole section where he he goes to the, like, employment office and there's a uh, um, Johnny Cab-type, like, animatron that's talking to him. 
Uh, before we start, I'd just like to explain... Max Costa, violation of Penal Code 2219, today at bus stop 34B. Yes, that's exactly what I wanted to talk to you about. You see, I believe there's been a misunderstanding. Immediate extension of parole by a further eight months. Wait, what? No, 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 no. I can explain what happened. I just made a joke. And, uh, you know... Stop talking. Elevation and heart rate detected. Would you like a pill? No. Thank you. What I'd like to do is explain Stop talking. Personality matrix suggests a 78.3% <laughs> chance of regression to old behavior patterns. Grand Theft Auto. Assault with a deadly weapon. Resisting arrest. Would you like to talk to a human? No, I am okay. Thank you. Are you being sarcastic and or abusive? Negative. And it was just like, oh, this is great. Like, this is... This is Paul Verhoeven, this is all of his influences, but done with, you know, a refreshing kind of, like, twist. And so there's just stuff that, like, if left alone, will be able to reflect and be like, oh, no, this this worked. A lot of it worked. A lot of it, you know, there's gaping plot holes and it's dopey. <laughs> but the, a lot of the things that, you know, we, we've grown to love have huge flaws and just making this kind of declarative statement about what a film is and how it's like it's not the real film because it you know what I mean like it just it I think it's it's careless to do that. Yeah, I agree. Um I agree. It, and really like maybe maybe the best thing for Blomkamp right now is to make that alien movie, right? Because maybe he needs maybe he needs to just go into something that has a sort of established universe established characters which he seems very invested in resuscitating you know like he wants Sigourney Weaver he wants Michael Bean I think according to the concept art like he wants to bring those characters back and however he's gonna make that work assuming that this alien movie does go forward it might be the best thing for him to sort of you know um just just sort of revive him or give him a new lease on like another way, maybe having the restrictions of a pre-existing property. I think it could be really good for Blomkamp to, I, I actually think he fits right in line with that franchise. Mm-hmm. If you look at the directors, like it's been a very auteur driven franchise. You know, you had Ridley Scott, you had James Cameron. And I think if Blomkamp is modeled after anybody, he's to me a very, he's like a hybrid Paul Verhoeven and James Cameron type. But it, it's interesting because like, Ridley Scott wasn't really a he wasn't a big established name until Alien uh, yes. and Blade Runner. That's true. And Same James with James Cameron. Cameron. Mm-hmm. He was on the rise because of Terminator. Yep. Um but, but And then David Fincher made the third one and it's his debut at that point. And Right, and, and that yeah. that seems like a misstep, you mm-hmm, know, because mm-hmm. people will the people have a complicated relationship with that movie. And even I think he writes that movie off. Yes. It's, so it gets just like it gets murky, and like I think um, there was an article that I forwarded to you uh, from the AV Club where it's like Neil Blomkamp's potential Alien is just a recipe for disappointment, mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. like that. It's true that just it's just a nerd culture, which is I think what we're talking about with like you can never please for one, you can never please everybody exactly. But there's just like a set of expectations that are kind of unrealistic. And what what people basically want is to relive the initial thrill. Mm-hmm. And you're not going to get that. So you're going to get something else. And that's just that's not satisfying to people. There will be people who will argue like, no, this is the second coming of whatever the fuck it is. <laughs> but like 
for the most part, people will just be like, no, it's not the same. Well, it's never going to be the same. You're yeah. never going to – that door is never going to be opened the same way again. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's just like Alien came out of nowhere. You know, it was like a – I think what's considered to be a not a great script that was turned into something great. And so it was a fluke, mm-hmm. you know. <laughs> it was like – this collective effort of designers and an amazing cast and an interesting director and it synergized into something unique and like kind of similar to district nine. Yeah. It became a phenomenon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. District nine came out of the rubble of a failed studio project where it was like, all right, we're going to, we're not going to do halo. Let's make district nine and took a short idea and just scrambled something together. And like, he got to use Charlito Copley who he really believes in and who's not at that time is not a conventional leading man. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he, you know, he became he, that that door was kicked down to where he is a convincing leading man now, you know? Yeah. yeah. And it's just like that. That's a that's a great moment. That's a great moment that you're not necessarily going to get again. Right. And uh, but then yeah, going back, like, then going back to Aliens as the sequel is like this even more amazing feat that's pulled off. Right. Because right. then you have those expectations and they're met. And for a lot of people exceeded with the sequel because it tries to it. James Cameron ventured into new territory. You know, he took that typical sequel conceit of bigger, better, more, you know, more, more, more. But it mm-hmm. it worked so well contrasted against the minimalism of the first alien yeah and it's it's it is it's i still think one of the most fascinating franchises that exists even with even with if you really kind of you know go down the line it's has a lot more misses than successes (laughs) yeah Uh, uh, in that article that same av club article which again it's worth noting came out uh, March 4th. So it was two days before Chappie came out and it was already like everybody was assuming the piling on of negativity was coming for Chappie. Right. And that's what I wanted to note about that headline, which is kind of misleading, right? It makes it sound like Neil Blumkamp will be the disappointment in the alien right. movie. But no, when you're... Well, yeah, it's expectations are just going to be the death of any real experience of enjoying something. Exactly, right? Like, And so in the end, I'm annoyed by the headline in that, mo- in, in that article. But when I read the the piece, it's much more fair and balanced and looking at the sort of fanboy culture that's just going to be disappointed no matter who makes an alien movie. Right. So, but I, I, I have to, it's worth noting how kind of annoying and clickbaity it is to write that headline, making it look like now that all the piling on has started for Neil Blumkamp again, you know, for this new movie that like they use that for the headline to grab attention that that was certainly frustrating because the article is much more even handed and and I can agree with it when I actually yeah. read it, you know. I mean, I don't mind Trojan horsing that cuz it's operating yeah. on that kind of like black and white uh like extremism that's the only it seems to be the only way people people operate now like this is the worst or this mm-hmm. is the best, yeah. you know. And and so it, it lures people in to be like, "All right, Elysium was not that bad." Mm-hmm. And they they even argue on behalf of Prometheus saying it wasn't that bad, which I, yeah. <laughs> you know, like I don't hate Prometheus. I think it's incredibly dumb in sections and is questionable at best in other sections, but it's also probably one of Ridley Scott's best-looking movies lately, you know. Oh, oh and even though I'm not a f- fan of prometheus i mean compared to most of his output recently i'll take prometheus over gods exodus gods and kings and <laughs> yeah that garbage man i mean yeah yeah man. diet 300 is that what that was basically <laughs> exactly exactly so yeah. yeah just i it's it seems just like a i don't know what fan servicing has ter- like what has been 
a good fan service of late because all of the shows that get like brought back because of fan outcry yeah like they're all met with shrugs once they're out you yeah, know the, like the arrested development fourth season yeah like no it wasn't good it was like yeah but they did what they were doing and so like why what's like and <laughs> veronica mars the movie like everybody sort of collectively shrugged about that movie which yeah. wasn't great but it's also it was just like seemed to be yet another example of fan service that just winds up with shrugs and disappointment it's also that because we have access to everything we want what we can't have and if you give it to people like they're not going to want it like there's all sorts of weird documentaries like Yodorowsky's Dune that are coming out and books about it about these movies that never happened and imagine if they did yeah oh and you're it and I think that's exciting to people because like they do want what they can't have but if they get it that's the exact like they're not going to want it anymore Right. It, it's better often to just just like uh, bad prequel ideas. You remember when Blade Runner, there was all this talk about how a prequel for Blade Runner. And it's like, do you really want that? And it's like, no, yeah. you probably don't. It's better left to the imagination. All the things that right. uh, Rudger Hauer references at the end of his beautiful monologue at the end of Blade Runner. It's like, just leave that to your imagination. You still have it. You can, yeah. can rewatch that monologue. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know. That's why, again, bringing it back to the Alien franchise and Neil Blomkamp taking it on is maybe he will be able to give maybe his style of sort of giving that fresh coat of paint to familiar tropes, you know, to things that we all recognize. We can watch Chappie and be like, oh, it's short circuit. It's RoboCop. It's it's got District 9. It's got all these other things. It's got Diane Twerd for for whatever reason. It's like you can look at all that and be like, maybe that's the interesting stuff he'll bring to Alien, which is a franchise that has been open to auteurs doing kind of putting their stamp on it for for good or ill. You know, yeah. um, the, the fourth Alien movie is a, it's kind of a train wreck, Alien Resurrection. But you can't argue that Jean-Pierre Jeunet did not put his stamp on that movie. It's there and it makes it interesting even as the <clears> failure <throat> it is. And uh, I don't think Neil Blomkamp will make a failed alien movie. I think he could be just the right fit. You know, it could be just the, just the thing he needs. And maybe his audience is starved for to um, kind of, you know, get him back in their good graces, whether that really matters. I think we're kind of arguing that it really shouldn't. And people are just looking for something to sort of bitch and complain about this week. And then next week they're going to forget all about Chappie and move on to the next thing. Yeah. Um, it's, it's still like it, it, it matters that I, I, and it's worth saying that I think I don't think people have anything to really be worried about with Blomkamp doing Alien. I think it could be just the just the right fit for him. I don't know. Yeah, hopefully, if, if it's something that he really has a drive to do out of uh, a personal vision, like that, he gets to do it. Because I think if anybody, he's somebody that I would immediately be interested in seeing his take on it. The set of compromises that are kind of just inherent with filmmaking that, like, you want to see someone who is a, a signature director be uncompromised and get the freedom to do so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'll Even put it. If it's messy. Yeah, exactly. And we'll take the messiness. Chappy, if you want to be in the gang, you have to be cool like daddy. Look how daddy walks. Look how cool he is. You need to keep a gangster. You need to keep a gangster. Yeah. Be cool. Don't lie for being cool. Cool. Even when you put a gun, you have to be cool like this. Boom. And you try. No, I can't shoot people. What? I can't shoot them. They didn't do anything to me. How are you going to do the heist with us if you don't shoot people? I can't do eyes. Eyes to the crimes. I promised. Yeah, it's okay. Hey, let's worry about that later, okay? 
I got this, right? You. If somebody really disrespects you, you can deal with them without using a gun. What are you forgetting? Real gangsters use zip. Um, maybe in closing, I'll, I'll put it this way. There, there are a lot of directors that have had a, a similar path to Neil Blomkamp that have, you know, risen very quickly with their first film. And mm. some of them, it seems like it's, they, they tend to get better and better. They, they're just sort of like a wonderkin director. You've got like your Quentin Tarantino's, your Paul Thomas Anderson's, those filmmakers. But then you have the other ones and they're more interesting to look at, like a Richard Kelly, the guy that I think made a, a, a a phenomenal science fiction independent movie, Donnie Darko, but then has just made two films that I would say are just terrible after with South right. and tales and the yeah. box. Right. So what does that mean? I think Richard Kelly is incapable of making something great again. No, I, I, I start to, I'm having my doubts and I, I think maybe Donnie Darko was, was might be the best thing he'll ever make, but I still want to see what he's going to put out. And then another side of that similar sort of like there's been a backlash to a director who was once heralded is look at David Gordon Green. Yeah. Guy had these two little two or three indie movies um, Mm -hmm. with George Washington, all the real girls undertow that people, a a select cinephile, small group really loved and appreciated and even snow angels in some aspects. And then he had his sort of stoner sort of like, uh, bromance comedies that came out his sort of Judd Apatow period you know if you want to label it that and people started to worry and wonder like oh like that's when you saw backlash for for David Gordon Green yeah this isn't the David Gordon Green I signed up for right that's which is else. that's not me I signed up for all forms of David Gordon Green right but what about what David Gordon Green signed up for and you're you're a person that's actually gotten to talk to him about this like it was brief where you've seen him at a screening before and he he just loves film basically yeah. is what he said right he and wants, he wants to-, to make all types of of movies and he's got he's somebody with a sensibility and like a sense of timing that is just like, it's going to be an original take, you know, no, no matter what he does, he's talked about wanting to make a science fiction movie. And it's like, love to see a David Gordon green science fiction movie, like just to limit what, what certain directors are supposed to give us, you know? Yeah. Because there's such an unbridled amount of content out there that we have to wade through that. It's just like, I think people need, things to be quarantined for them and tagged and sort of like specific. So like, I yeah. want to know what I'm getting when I get my Neil Blomkamp flavor, you know? Like, <laughs> And then look at what David Gordon Green did after those supposed disappointing comedies for a lot of people. He comes back with something like Prince Avalanche that is, feels even fresh compared to his previous films, even though it is a tiny little indie, but it felt mm-hmm. like a new stage and that movie is really, really good. And we, both um, appreciated Joe quite a bit, the Nicolas Cage movie he makes that nobody sees. And the need to compartmentalize someone like a David Goring Green or Neil Blomkamp is sort of a fool's errand because let's just see what they do. And I think we all want to just see them get better so they can make something great that we saw that was either promised by films that we did really like that they've made or mm-hmm. that that we hope that they can make someday. I think, I think David Goring Green is a really good example because Neil Blomkamp hopefully will have a new stage to to take on with this alien movie assuming it goes forward and i think really like so that narrative of his three films has sort of 
is closing, I feel like. And mm-hmm. it's mostly like at the it's closing on a sort of backlash period critically for him. Mm-hmm. But now now a whole new narrative can start for him, which is both um, like feels like, you know, the, the the only fair thing we can give to Blomkamp, but also shows how ridiculously it gets to your point of how ridiculously fast things move. Like now it's like his redemption narrative can start, you know, like if <laughs> this the is ali- a crash and burn period, the darkest <laughs> hour. Right. Exactly. How silly is that? But that's essentially how it's being painted in a lot of critical sort of headline like circles where right. it. It's like now you can see it. If the Alien movie turns out to be good and a huge hit, it'll be his road to redemption narrative. And just, yeah, the, think how, about like having that in your head when you're setting out to make yes. a movie that like is going to involve just so many things and so many, and just like a set of expectations that's, you know, maybe it'll be the engine that drives the film into greatness, or maybe it'll be a hindrance. You know, it's just like I, I don't know. I mean, I, I guess it's ultimately up to up to a filmmaker and kind of up to us. Like we can turn down the noise and we can unplug from it. And, you know, we can just show up at a movie by a filmmaker we like and experience it completely untainted by the sort of the roar of the internet. But, you know, it's getting harder and harder to do. Yeah. And, you know, again, I, I have plenty of problems with Chappie, but I, I guess <clears throat> if nothing else to close on, I want to let I, I get the sense with this movie and just talking with other people about it, that it's being very quickly dismissed. Like, you know, uh, colleagues, friends like that I know are into film were excited about this movie. And already just this past week has kind of made them think like, oh, that's not worth me going to see it now. Yeah, absolutely. And it just I, seems like yeah. I'll mention having seen it and people will be like, oh, what? why almost, you know? And it was like, oh, because everybody decided already that it was right. not worth like experiencing. Yeah. And I just think that's bullshit. I think go see Chappie. too. It is. It is dangerous. Exactly. And you th- and. It, that's the sort of thing that can lead to only more cookie cutter product that's going to get churned out. And I think um, it's not like you have to like Neil Blumkamp's new movie. It's just because I mostly didn't. But I, there are <laughs> things that I, I'm glad I saw that movie and I, I like talking about it. And I also there are things that are worth like that are very good in the film, too. So you um, I just don't think it's a movie that deserves to be written off the way it already seems like it has. So I, I think I implore people to, to go see it and and like at least see what you get out of it. And hopefully we it, we can support a movie that's tr- that it is messy and tries to do something different, if nothing else. Yeah, absolutely. Cool, man. Well, uh, I think that's as good a place as any to leave it off. I think we've let our feelings of Chappie be known uh, mm-hmm. here in 50 minutes. Um well, uh, Joe, it's, you know, you and I have done over a hundred episodes of adjust your tracking. So this is nothing new for you and me to get to talk with each other. But, um, since you're here on the playlist podcast, you want to let uh, people know where they can find you online. Um, well, you could follow the podcast, uh, on Twitter at adjust your track. Right. And, um, you can, we've got a Facebook page, That's adjust right. your tracking. Don't confuse us with the documentary, which is a perfectly decent documentary. Yeah, the VHS documentary. Yep, they have they have a good title, but we had ours first. Um, I have um, t- I have talked with that filmmaker. We did mm-hmm. have it first. Good dude. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was. Yeah. Uh, other than that, uh, we 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 are going to be dipping into what what's our favorite season? I think yes. or becoming our favorite season, the spring season, where 
it's not you're not dealing with the bookends of Oscar contenders or summer blockbusters. You get a sort of like free range of movies in kind of a February, March, and April where they they get to roam free. They get to be weirdo little standalones like Chappie. So we're gonna you know dip into that our favorite season on adjuster tracking. Absolutely. Yeah. We, we have at least an episode, maybe a couple more coming up soon, I think, because yeah, this is, as we've said on our podcast, this is our time. This is where mm-hmm. we get it. This is where we get giddy and it, you know, it comes and goes fast, but we're going to champion those little oddball movies and the big oddball movies, just like Chad Chappie um, deserves to be, you know, given, given some respect. So we will do that over at adjuster tracking, Joe. Uh, we always, I always thank you at the end of adjuster tracking. I got to thank you for coming onto the playlist and for talking with me here, man. Hey, thanks for having me. It's nice in here.